It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets. For it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. According to the interweb, this opening run-on sentence in a novel in 1830 is the first literary use of the exact phrase, it was a dark and stormy night. But since then, it feels like this phrase has been so overused that it's almost comical rather than sinister, uh, in part because every time Snoopy set out to write his great American novel, he would sit on top of his doghouse with his typewriter and he would start with that same line. But when Lucy gets frustrated with all of his stories starting in the same way, he changes it, one time at least, to, it was one of those dark nights when you weren't sure if it was going to be stormy or not. <laughs> but of course, setting an ominous scene in the dark and in a storm or in a storm is so much older than 1830 or the Peanuts cartoons. As I mentioned last week, the Gospel of Mark tells the story of Jesus and his disciples in a storm, at night, in a boat, which means that setting ominous scenes in dark storms is like thousands of years old, at least. The disciples' dangerous journey, as we talked about last week, is intended to connect us to the fear that the disciples likely had about the people they didn't know on the other side of the lake, or the fear that we might have of, of people on the other side of our sense of normal, our political, religious, or cultural sense of normal. So Jesus calms the storm, they arrive on the other side of the lake or the sea, and they find people who are every bit as human as they are. What, what a surprise. People who come to Jesus because they are hurting, because they are alone, or because they're hungry. But as we go back, uh, we can go back even further in the Bible because the entire Bible actually begins with a, it was a dark and stormy night, sort of. Genesis 1-2 says that the earth was complete chaos or formless and darkness covered the surface of the abyss or the waters of chaos. But there, in that storm, God's spirit is moving over the surface of the water so that the darkness and the chaos, or out of the darkness and chaos, comes light and life and meaning. This is the beginning of Genesis. Okay, so with this in mind, let's listen to our second boat trip to the other side story in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 47. When evening came... Once again, it's dark. The disciples' boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on land, so they're not in the same boat together. When Jesus saw from land that they were straining at the oars because the wind was against them, he came toward them early in the morning, walking on the water. Have you heard this story before? 
does it sound familiar? I mean, it may sound familiar because you've heard about Jesus walking on the water, but, but through the darkness and on top of the turbulent water, God's Spirit is hovering or moving just before the first sunrise in Genesis. Through the darkness and walking on the water, Jesus is moving as morning breaks. Now, in that moment, it probably didn't occur to the disciples that their terrifying experience was a reenactment of the creation story in the Bible, but Mark is creatively telling us what God's movement, what Jesus' movement is all about. God's Spirit is at work in the beginning and now through Jesus to bring light and life and meaning to the whole world the whole world, not just our side of the world, our side of faith, our side of politics, the whole world. So like in Mark chapter 4, Jesus here in Mark chapter 6 stops the wind. They arrive on the other side of the lake to be with people who are different, but also the same. Now, personally, I tend to lean more introverted I don't know about you, but when I meet new people or when I'm going to a new place that I'm not really sure about, or even if it's like eating food that I haven't had before, I tend to sort of front load my stress and anxiety. My anxiety is usually at its peak when everything is completely unknown. So I, I wonder, what, what if I'm late? wherever we're going, or, or even worse, what if I'm too early? Like, that's definitely way worse. What if I go to the wrong place? Or what if they don't like me? Or what if these people find out that I'm a pastor and it gets really awkward? Which, they can. But once I'm there, it's, it's rarely as bad as I imagine. And then each time I go back to that same place or with those same people or at the same restaurant... The preloaded stress gradually fades away because the unknown is now more known. Like, it makes sense, right? Now, as I get older, um, and because I'm a pastor and interact with people all the time, I, I feel like I've figured out how to manage these situations with a lot less stress. Like, I feel more comfortable in the unknown. But a few weeks ago, I was taking our son to his band concert at, at Samuel High, and, and this happened. It was a dark and stormy night. It, it actually wasn't. But I dropped him off and I was, I was walking from our car to the auditorium and I see a crowd of people standing outside and I realized that I was early because I dropped him off. And so that I was going to be standing there in this crowd of people that I don't know for who knows how long because, or at least until the doors open. So before even looking around to see if I recognize anybody, I immediately start texting my wife, Honey, I'm standing in a crowd of people. The doors haven't opened yet, so I'm texting you so that I look busy and don't feel so socially awkward. <laughs> and she replied back with like a laughing emoji, which if it was longer, it would have like been more helpful. Um, and so I wrote, ba I wrote back, Blah, 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 just making stuff up, right? Because I need more time because it's probably going to be like maybe a half an hour. But then someone from 
one of the local Jewish synagogues saw me and they came over and asked me about plans that Rabbi Alex and I have for a, an election night evening service in November, which we are going to have. So, so we talked about that and we talked about band and we talked about our kids. And then one of our new neighbors uh, in our neighborhood came over and we talked about a number of things and then the door opened up and the concert started and it was fantastic and, and I stopped pretending to be busy because the fear of the unknown had given way to everything that was known in that particular situation. Three times in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' disciples take a boat to the other side. Three times. In Mark 4, their fear of unknown people and an unknown place before they arrive is symbolized in many ways by this dark storm that they think will overwhelm them, will kill them. But Jesus calms the storm, they arrive at the unknown, and the unknown becomes known. Today in Mark 6, the disciples take their second trip, um, this time on their own without Jesus in the boat, And even though they are struggling against the wind, this is not the same catastrophic storm or even the same fear as the first trip. Plus, it's early in the morning, not entirely dark. It's already, the light is already beginning to pierce the darkness in the second story. The third trip to the other side comes in Mark chapter 8, and and this is that story. Getting into the boat again, Jesus and his disciples went to the other side. That's it. <laughs> That's the story. It's not dark. There's no storm. There's, they're no longer afraid in any way. It's only one sentence because presumably each time they go, the unknown becomes increasingly more known. And the scary people become people. I've had a number of conversations of, Uh, over the years uh, about issues of of racism and all of the things happening around us and in our country with black friends of mine who have said, Tim, listen, it's, it's okay if you don't understand everything. Or, or say the right thing all the time. In fact, honestly, Tim, like you can't. And like you, you never will. But for some reason, it's usually only white people who think that they need to be perfect when it comes to these conversations. It's this fear of not knowing, it's this fear of getting it wrong, which more often than not keep us from discovering what's on the other side of any experience that is different than our own. Fear of the unknown. But the knowing, as we enter into it, becomes gradually known. The darkness does eventually give way to the early morning. The darkness does eventually give way to the light. The season of Lent. Every year, we start in the darkness. We start with Ash Wednesday. We spend time walking through the darkness, and we don't move too quickly through it because dark and stormy nights are very real. Dark and stormy seasons of life are are very real and worth honoring and paying attention to. But we are moving gradually toward the light. We are moving gradually toward the light of Easter. And it's not immediate. It's a journey. Just like life, these seasons may be short. They may be really long. But Jesus, here in these stories, 
is moving with us through the darkness. Jesus is walking on the choppy and chaotic sea to remind us that those moments of anxiety, those moments of stress or fear or pain or darkness or struggle, that in those moments that God is still there creating light and life and meaning for us and for our world. The knowing or the unknowing gradually becomes more known as we travel through the darkness toward the light. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray in this season of Lent that you would guide us through the wilderness, protect us through the storm, and gather our divided world together. Amen.